No one comes unto the Father but by me. No one. There is no other way. It's the one and only true and living way. There is no other way to the discovery of the Father save by this pattern. People will say, well, what about Buddhism? What about Mohammedanism? What about Confucianism? What about all the little isms of the world? I repeat, there is no other way. There is no way to the Father but by this pattern, which I will show you tonight because I have experienced it. I will tell it to you in detail just as I have experienced it. Now we are told the Bible is the Word of God. We are told in the Psalms, the 119th Psalm, Thy word, or the sum of thy word, is truth. We are told in Revelation the spirit of Jesus, or Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. His testimony testifies to all that happened, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and the word by which he is called is the word of God. So the whole Bible is the Word. But there's a pattern in that Word. Not every verse, not every chapter has the same significance. There is a pattern in the entire book. The 39 books of the Old Testament form one book. The New Testament is the spirit of it. It's the spirit of the Testament. So we are told in Peter's letter, the prophet who prophesied, of the grace that was to be yours. They searched under inquired concerning this salvation. They inquired what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ within them when predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that are now being announced to you, things that angels long to see, but could not. It was God's mystery, and no heavenly being saw the mystery. Angels, archangels, no one. It was simply God's mystery. And it was all about us. So the prophets who prophesied of this wonderful mystery, they said and inquired and wondered what person, what time was indicated by it. And it was told them they were not serving themselves, not that time, but us. So Paul said, in the fullness of time, when the time had fully come, he sent forth his Son into our heart, crying, Father. Then said he, when it pleased God to reveal his Son in me, I conferred not with flesh and blood. The whole thing begins, and I'll tell you exactly how it happened, it begins with the resurrection. You do not resurrect from the cemetery, may I tell you. 
You are now in the grave. The body that you are wearing. These are the graves. These are the coffins in which the Lord God Jehovah is buried. He is buried with his son. As we are told in the 54th Psalm. The title of the 54th Psalm is David is in hiding within us. They translate it, David is in hiding among us. But the word means within us. Just as it means in that 14th verse of 1 John. And the word became flesh and dwells within us. Not among us. I'm looking around to see where he is. He is not on the outside. Listen to these words. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Now here we have the Lord is in us, and we have Jesus Christ in us, and I've just quoted one where the Holy Spirit is within us. God the truth, which has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us. But here we have the whole dwelling within us. I can't look for God coming from without. I can't turn to anything on the outside to see him. I can't turn to see his son when he actually is hiding within us. But not until the fullness of time comes. And when the fullness of time comes, he sends forth his son into our hearts. <coughs> crying father he's now about to fulfill his word his prophecy and he cries to whom does he cry father to another he cries it to God the father but then he cries it to you that you are God the father you will never know in eternity that you are the Lord God Jehovah until his son his only son calls you father it begins with the resurrection. We think the story ends with the resurrection. It doesn't. It begins with the resurrection. We are talking of an entirely different world. Something entirely different. Not this age of Peter. This is the age of sorrow. The age of death. The age of pain. I speak of another age. The eternal age. And it begins with the resurrection. While you are walking this earth, and you seek as you step night after night, and some night when you least expect it, it's going to happen. It comes like a thief in the night. Without warning, with shocking suddenness, all of a sudden, it happens. And then you awake. It's an actual awakening. You feel yourself awake, as you have never awakened before. Prior to the awakening, you think this is it, meaning death. It's the awakening from death. But you feel you can't stand it one second longer. The vibration is so intense in your head. You think, as I did, I'm not a doctor. I do not know what it is to have a terrible hemorrhage. But I entertain the thought, maybe this is it. 
a dream preceded it, the most glorious dream, which was the dream in Zachariah. The streets were filled with boys, little boys and girls. And it was the most glorious scene of joyful youth, all enjoying music, beautiful music being played without sight by great artists from great grand pianos patient at long intervals along a very wide, wide sidewalk, much wider than this room. An entirely different kind of a world, not tall buildings, no building was taller than three, but beautiful buildings and sidewalks much wider than this, and a street many times the width of the sidewalk. And here are these boys and girls, they're in their late, well, not yet teens, really, following their great artist who would sit down and play. And I saw this wonderful music, and I saw music forming itself into a geometrical pattern. And here out of this piano came a geometrical pattern, a heavenly pattern in color. And I'm looking at it. And then I knew I could arrest that pattern and observe it more closely. And I arrested it by arresting not something on the outside, but in me. I actually stopped an activity within my own head, and it stopped. But the music was there, and yet the whole thing was frozen. And at that moment, as it was frozen, my head began to vibrate. A strange, unearthly vibration. And then, as it grew in intensity, I began to awake. And I awoke to find myself within my own skull. And I knew, without anyone telling me, this is the tomb of the Lord. I knew this was the tomb where the Lord was buried, <coughs> and I am he. I am the one the scripture speaks about. It's all about me, who put me here, and when I was put here, I did not know. I only knew that I was in a tomb and it was hermetically sealed. I had one consuming desire to get out. And so I actually knew, intuitively, where to push. And I pushed the base of my skull. Remember, the tomb was as big, well, let me say, 14 square. And here my little skull wearing only a seven-sized hat, or a seven-and-a-quarter hat. And here, the interior is a 14-square. As far as I'm concerned, I stood up in my own skull, and yet I knew it was my skull. And I pushed the base of my skull, knowing that if I pushed it, something would give, and it did. Something gave, and something rolled away. The stone rolled away, because I pushed from within. And then I put my head next to the opening, it's a small opening, and I pushed it. And I came out of that skull just as a child comes out of the womb of a woman, inch by inch by inch. And when I was almost out, I grabbed the portion still in my body, in my skull, <coughs> and I pulled it out with these hands. For a few seconds, I lay on the floor. And when I rose and looked back, 
at the garment out of which I came. He was ghastly pale. And turning his head from side to side, just like someone after some great, great labor. And then a wind, an unearthly wind, came up. I'm feeling it in my head, and yet I am sensing it from a distance. I'm still looking at the body. Now it seems to be on a bed. I looked away just a few seconds from the body, but I thought the origin of the wind came from that corner in the room where I found myself. When I looked back to the body, and it was gone, they had removed the body. As told in Scripture, they have taken away the body of the Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. For I am no longer that body, I am spirit. That was only an incubator that hatched out God. As you are told in Scripture, you must be born from above. You must be born anew. For unless you are born from above, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. For flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. For God is spirit, and only spirit can enter the kingdom of heaven. So the body is gone. But in its place sat my three older brothers. Cecil the oldest sat where the head was, Victor the second one sat where my right foot was, and Lawrence, my third brother, sat where the left foot was. They also hear the wind, and they are disturbed. My brother Lawrence was the most disturbed when he got up to investigate the same area where I thought it came from. He started and hadn't gone more than a foot or two. Strange, something attracted his attention on the floor. And as he looked down, he made the announcement to my two brothers. For they couldn't see me, I'm spirit. So they can't see me. It would take more than mortal eyes to behold me. And I'm fully awake as I've never been awake before. And as he looked down, he announced, it's Neville's baby. And together, as though they had rehearsed it, they said, how can Neville have a baby? He bent over and lifted up the evidence. He didn't argue with them. He brought the evidence, an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, and placed it on the bed. I took that infant up into my hand, and I looked into its face, and it brought into the most heavenly smile. And I said, how is my sweetheart? And while it's smiling in my face, the whole vision vanishes, and I awoke on my bed. That's the beginning of the pattern. It's going to happen to every person in this world. Then you will know who Jesus Christ is. Then you're going to know who God is. For 139 days later, this is going to happen. As told us in Scripture, your head will vibrate like the first time, only in some strange way it will be centered not at the base of your skull, but on top of your head. And you feel you can't stand one second more and then at that moment of intensity, you feel your head explode. Just an actual explosion. And when everything now settles, you find yourself seated in a perfectly normal room. And there, leaning against the side of an open door, 
is your son David of biblical faith. And you look at your son and you know he's your son and he knows you are his father. And here you are fulfilling scripture. I have son David. And he's cried unto me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. In fulfillment of the 89th Psalm. For God promised him he would not leave his soul in the pit. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Now a strange scene takes place, which is difficult for man to grasp, but it's now the 22nd Psalm. And the 22nd Psalm since Christendom began has always been associated as one of the important sections of the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. The psalm begins, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's one of the words on the cross. But in that psalm, he calls out to the Lord. He said, O oh Lord, deliver my soul from the sword and my life from the power of the dog. The word, my life, translates a Hebrew word which means literally thine only son. That's what it means literally. It only appears 11 times in Scripture. It means the unique son, nothing like him, not a son, the only son, the only one. And this is, these are the words of David, the 22nd Psalm, is called a psalm of David. Now, the words translated, deliver my life from the power of the door, means deliver thy only son from the power of the homosexual. At the end of this vision, I could hardly believe that this would be incorporated into a fantastic and profound division. And here, I am the father. I am the father of David. And David's father is the Lord God Jehovah. And standing to my right are two very handsome men in their late thirties. And they're looking concupiscently at my son David. They are feasting upon his beauty. And I warn them that he has never lost a battle for my spirit is upon him. But I came upon him mightily from that day on, and he is never and never will lose a battle. And then standing before me is this enormous head, severed from the body, the head of the giant Goliath, right before me. And here is my son David. Beauty, you can't describe the beauty of that lad just as he described in the 16th chapter of 1st Samuel. Beautiful eyes, fair of skin, he's a blonde. Just the most fantastically beautiful lad you can't describe him. Artists have tried to paint him, and many a great sculptor have painted what is called David. You can't come near David. And I warn these two, why should that be brought into my vision? Because it's part of the eternal structure of God's plan. There had to be there. 
and they had to look concupiscently at my son to fulfill scripture. As we are told in scripture, I have come to fulfill scripture. Scripture must be fulfilled in me, for it's all taking place within a man. And then I knew who I was. I knew I bore the child. I knew that was the promise made to Abraham. That was the Isaac, the child who smiled. For the word Isaac means he laughed. And the child laughed. Here was an infant, a tiny infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, and you pick him up, <coughs> and the face breaks into the heavenly smile. And it's just an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. And here comes the second one, and that takes place 123 days later. Then comes, <coughs> I mean, that takes place 139 days later. The next one is 123 days later. And that is when your body is split in two, from the top of your head to the base of your spine. This is the pattern that I'm laying out for you. And you look at the base of your spine, and the whole thing is a liquid, golden, living light. And you, the observer, looking at it, you know you're looking at yourself. How can you, a being, look at golden, pulsing, living light and know it is yourself? And yet you know it's yourself. And you see the body that was split is split and parted in two. In harmony with scripture. And he stood upon the Mount of Olives. And a bolt of lightning split the Mount in two from east to west. And one half moved northward, and the other half moved to the south. So where is the Mount of Olives? But your body. You sit on your head. That's what it is. And then a bolt of lightning sits you in two. And looking at that golden liquid light, and you know it yourself, you fuse with it. And then, like a fiery serpent, you move up into your skull, and you take it by storm. You go in there just like a rivet being riveted into a building. As you're told in Scripture, and the kingdom of heaven is taken with violence, and the violence take it violently. Read it carefully in the book of Matthew. That's how you enter it. You come in just like a rivet being riveted into a building, for Jerusalem is being rebuilt. And you come in as a living, living being into that state. And then, 998 days later, the thing comes to its glorious end. Suddenly your skull disappears. There is no circumference. Infinity is all over. You're looking out from the center and there is no circumference. It's all translucent, complete transparent. Uh, above you, maybe 20 feet above you, hovers a dove, a beautiful dove. And he's looking at you lovingly. He catches your eye, and he looks at your eye. It's almost like a hypnotic state. And while he's looking at your eye, you have the impulse, and you simply raise a hand. I did it with my left hand. 
and stuck out this finger, the index finger. And the dove descended. He looked as though he was floating because he didn't use his wings, and yet he was tasty and alive. And he simply descended on my finger. And I brought him to my face, and he smothered me with kisses all over my neck, my face, my head. And while he's bathing me in kisses, the scene dissolves. And then you know who the ark is. And the doubt that came back. And Noah stuck out his hand. The doubt took the hand, and Noah brought him into the ark. And you see, the whole drama is taking place within man. It's not on the outside at all. <clears throat> we are here in this seemingly outer world. And while we are moving in this world, I'm going through all the furniture. The church is for the being that we really are, and that being is God the Father. How we come forth from the furnaces, and how long and severe the anguish here we find the Father, it is said it is long to tell. But we'll find him. I'll find him, and I'll find him to be myself. Even though I'm still wearing this little garment, I must continue to suffer with it until that moment in time when it's taken off now for the last time. But before it's taken off for the last time, I'm under compulsion to tell you the pattern. To tell you exactly how it's going to happen to you. And this is the story of the Bible. For I tell you that no background of man's thinking is complete which does not contain the story the Bible tells. But see to it that it is the story and not just a story. When you turn on your TV on Sunday morning, you hear all this nonsense concerning the Bible. Go to your churches and you'll hear all the other nonsense concerning it. And all the rituals. Another thing is said in scripture concerning that all dressed up in their robes in beautiful, lovely colors. That's not scripture. That's the thing to do with it. Tell the story. So he tells his story to Timothy. In his second epistle to Timothy. To make it very, very clear because Paul feels he's leaving the world. I'm departing this world. And he wants you to know now that you may be faithful and guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So you said, <clears throat> the stories I've told you follow the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me. And Paul's first letter is Galatians. And these letters were written at least 15 to 20 years before the Gospel. So when Paul speaks of the Gospel, he is not referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is referring to his own letters. This is the Gospel. He experienced the birth. So when it pleased God to reveal his Son in me, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Man forgets that this whole thing took place in Israel. Paul said, I am a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He never denied his background, but he discovered it was not confined to the flesh. 
that an Israelite was not a descendant of Abraham after the flesh, but the select and the elect and the chosen of God of any race or nation. He was a rabid, rabid Israelite in the orthodox sense until the vision. And then he saw it. And he saw the whole thing unfolding within him. And he who lived in the first century saw that his father was himself. And that father of David, he was that father. And David who lived seemingly, if you take the story as a secular story, 1000 BC called him father. For it pleased God to reveal his son in me, not to me, in me. That's the proposition. And so when it revealed itself in me, Paul knew he was the father. And spent his last day, from morning to night, trying to persuade all who would come to him concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the pattern man. And he was trying to extract from the Old Testament, there was no New Testament, he was trying to extract from those 39 books of the Old Testament the pattern which every Israelite longed for, but they didn't see the pattern. And to him the foundation of all the promises of God was the promise made to Abraham, I will give you a son, that laughing one called Isaac. That's the foundation of all the promises. Now we are told when the pattern unfolds, it is in him that all the promises of God find their yes. All the promises of God find their yes in him, for their yes is their fulfillment. So everything promised to Israel is fulfilled in the pattern as that pattern unfolds within man. He promises them eternal life, it's yours, or you become the father. He promised him his own son, gives you his son. And it's your son. That father-son relationship is now eternal. He promises you power beyond the wildest dream of man. The power is yours to stop and start time. To actually arrest time. And change its motivation. And see it all change just as you will it. That's yours. He promises you wisdom beyond anything known to mortal man. That's yours. But this is now to be inherited after you take off the mortal garment. You can talk about it here, but you do not fully come into your inheritance until the final stuffing off of the garment takes place. And then you are one with the Lord God Jehovah. You are Jehovah. There is no room in the world for another. There is only God. Nothing but God. So this is the pattern, man. So when you hear the word Jesus, when you hear the word God, when you hear the word Lord, do not let your mind jump to something on the outside. For if it conveys the sense of an external, existing someone outside of yourself, you have the wrong God. It should bring instantly yourself, jolt you to the being who you really are, and that is I am. That is the name of God. Your own wonderful human imagination, that is God. Anytime you hear these terms, think of your own wonderful imagination, for that is God. 
And may I tell you, you'll find the veil between here and there very, very thin. In the morning now, coming back to this world, it is so thin. I can't tell you how thin the veil is between what you're experiencing and what you come back to. Those of the world call day on, day at all. But they do not know. There's no transforming power in death. And you pass through these worlds on the way back here. And there worlds just like this. And the veil is so thin and you can arrest it. It is so very thin you can stop it for a second and observe them and then vanish from their sight and you return to this body. It's all in the offering. It has to take place. And when you reach the age of puberty sexually, sexual puberty in a spiritual sense, it's fantastic. This happened to me back in 1959, and I reached that stage now. So I've had my 12th birthday this past July the 20th. And so I've now on the verge of the teens, as it were, judging it in a chronological sense. And the fantastic control you get when you slip from here and you go into these worlds, and you are in such control of yourself and you're in control of those worlds. And you meet those that are long gone and they aren't gone at all. You know them, but not, they're not the same age that they were here. My mother died at 61. And she looked a hundred because she was in such pain when she died. And she suffered so prior to her death. She died of cancer. And then she simply survived two years of intense horror. And then mother looked so old. I met my mother yesterday morning. This beautiful, beautiful woman. She looked well, I would say, 45. A raving beauty. As she was in she was 45. I'm altogether lovely. But mother hasn't changed. In other words, this vision of mine has not touched her yet. So I met her, I met her as the one that she would know as a son. Only a grown man, as I would be. For she saw me as a grown man. And a father before she died. But she was at least my age when I met her. So you adjust yourself to make it conform to the being that you're addressing. And here is mother. And I looked around the room and saw everyone have gone from this world. And they're all so much alive. But I could not share with them what I'm sharing with you now. There was no interest. I came back from another group of intense interest in hearing the word of God. But I could not with her, could not with others. They were more interested in passion, interested in the things that ladies are here, what people are wearing, and the colors, and all these things. And it was all in color. The whole thing was in color. And I was surprised to tell us they don't dream in color, what they do not know. I often wonder if they've ever had a dream in their life. It's all in color, just as it is here. And they are more interested in the things at the moment than they are in what I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternity. And they are interested 
in the things that are passing. The politics of time rather than the politics of eternity. But I share with you my own experience this night. I have not speculated. <coughs> Paul was not speculating, trying to set up some workable philosophy of life. He was actually telling exactly what happened to him. I do not think that he spelled it out to the degree that I spelled it out here this night. I'm telling exactly where you are. You are buried in your own skull. And you are God. And when you come out of your own skull, you bear the fruit of the tree of life. Here you bear the fruit of the tree of good and evil, the tree of knowledge. knowledge. <coughs> when you come out of your own skull, you bear the fruit of the tree of life itself. So you're told, if I am the word of God, for his name shall be called the word of God. Now we are told in James, the first chapter of James, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save yourself. Now you hear the story. Believe it. In believing it, you receive the implanted word. That's the engrafted word. It's engrafted on the tree of knowledge. But when the time is fulfilled for it to erupt and produce fruit, it will bear the fruit of the tree from which it was taken. And it was taken from the tree of life, which is the Lord God Jehovah himself. You can almost say that the Lord God Jehovah is cutting out of his own being that which he implants upon the tree of knowledge. So he chose us in him before that the world was, and destined us in love to be his son. But when that son is born, it came out of a tree called the Father, and it becomes a father in itself. Because the father had life in himself, he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So while the son can say, I and my father are one. Is identical with the parent tree. So I and my father are one. It was implanted upon this tree of knowledge, but when it bloomed, it bore the fruit not of the tree of knowledge, it bore the fruit of the tree of life from which it was taken. So we see with meekness the implanted word. So if you believe it, but as Paul said, and I must quote it again. Not all who heard hearing the gospel. Now these are Paul's words. Long before the gospels were written, he uses the word gospel, and he calls it my gospel. But as Isaiah said, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So they did not hear it. Some did. And those who actually believed it they received the word in meekness and became the implanted word on the tree of knowledge. Then that in time, in the fullness of time, it bears the fruit of the tree of life. And the tree of life bears the fruit that I have told you tonight. All these things come out of the tree of life. 
My children came out of the tree of knowledge, my physical children. I have two, a boy and a girl. They came out of the tree of knowledge, and they are in the world of knowledge. They have to hear the stone. Maybe they can't hear it from their father, for the prophet has no honor in his own home. They love me dearly, and there's a great respect and love between the family. But the same thing that I'm saying to you, if it is said to them by someone other than their father, they would be more acceptable to it. It's always the case, because we know our fathers, earthly fathers, and we know our earthly mothers. And so, coming from someone else, I know when my daughter went to college, she came home, her mother and I knew nothing, but her teachers knew everything. No matter what the teacher said, she believed it. If the teacher said, you see that, it's made of, well, green cheese, she believed it. And if I said, no, darling, it isn't made of green cheese, it's simply a, a little wall. Maybe it's all paper, maybe it's wood. We'll go and test it. Oh, no, you don't know. I knew nothing. And for four years of her college, her mother knew nothing. She went to Smith, her mother, but she knew nothing. So, teachers have a tremendous responsibility in teaching. And James warned us about it. What happens to the teacher who will mislead people, especially one who knows? If he puts the monetary picture up first, and that comes before what he knows to tell. If he thinks in telling it, he's not going to get a crowd, and therefore appeals to the crowd what they want to hear, instead of what he actually knows, he warns them of the consequences of his teaching. So I'm telling you, I have shared with you exactly what I have explained. And this is the pattern, and it takes 1,260 days to complete it. 